You're listening to an L.A. Kings podcast. For more episodes of this and every other Kings program, visit lakings.com slash podcast. You're listening to All the Kings Men, the official podcast of the L.A. Kings. Now, here's your host, Jesse Cohen. Welcome back, Kings fans. I am Jesse Cohen. This is All the Kings Men. When it comes to a starting lineup, everybody loves the starter from Jack Black. Loaded with the superior skincare that the pros love, LA Kings fans can get the starter for just $10, shipping included. Available exclusively at getjackblack.com with the code TEAMJB, the starter has four of Jack Black's best-selling skincare and shave products, plus a full-size Intense Therapy Lip Balm SPF 25 in Natural Mint. Here's to the winning combination of the LA Kings and the starter from Jack Black, $10 plus free shipping, available at getjackblack.com with the code TEAMJB, while supplies last. Zach Dooley has been doing player evaluations for the 2021 season, and he's letting me and Daryl Evans play along. Today, we're looking at the left side of the defense with Mikey Anderson, Tobias Bjornfoot, Oli Mata, and Curtis McDermott. And on Thursday, we'll be taking a look at the top draft prospects from the U.S. National Team Development Program. We're focusing on the left side of the blue line. We're going to start out with uh, rookie Mikey Anderson. Comes in and, and the thing that I have heard, I don't know how many years now, as long as he's been in the organization, every time somebody mentions his name, um, I feel like you have to look over your shoulder to watch out for the person rushing over to tell you that this kid's going to wear a letter in this league someday. (laughs) Um, And I I thought it was, you know, a nice compliment that people paid him, but I didn't really believe it until this year. I heard Drew Doughty say that he was the third most vocal player in the locker room. So uh, never mind in the locker room, what did we think of Mikey Anderson's season on the ice? Well, I think that, you know, no, no pun intended, speaks volumes for the type of player <laughs> that he is, uh, that he's, you know, that he's able to get his voice heard at such a young age. And especially playing alongside a guy like Drew Doughty, uh, that's not an easy task. I mean, the, the expectations are, are very high when you're on the ice with a player like that. And you also look at the situations that you're, you know, that you're facing when you're on the ice with Drew Doughty as a partner, you're always up against the opposition's top line, um, you know, situations against the top players in the league that are are looking to take advantage of you not having the experience that, uh, you know, a more seasoned veteran has. So I thought Mikey Anderson has really done a nice job at handling that. I give a lot of that credit to Drew Doughty for providing him with a platform to be able to excel in Uh, his communication. There's no doubt that Drew's a very vocal player on the ice. And maybe that's, uh, you know, Mikey Anderson probably had, some of that coming up, but you are probably also picked up on it uh, from the way that Drew communicates on the ice. And, and that's great because that's something he'll be able to share with the other, not only young defenders, but the other young players that are not only on the Kings right now that will make that step here in the next year or two. Paired with Drew Doughty, as you said, obviously doesn't play as many minutes as, as Doughty, but played 21 uh, minutes, 11 seconds, averaged that ice time and I think he and Dowdy had over 800 minutes together as a pair which was pretty close to tops in the league as far as two defensemen that played uh, that many minutes together Todd McClellan said that in the offseason he needs to get stronger um, needs to get bigger says he understands or he believes that Mikey understands the homework assignment and will uh, will excel at it was there any one area of his game that you feel like needs the most work heading into next year yeah, you know, a lot of it is, is you know, just exactly what you just said, Jess, is, is uh, you know, he's got to get stronger. Uh, you know, as we say, you know, bigger. I mean, how do you get bigger? Are you going to grow? Who knows? But you definitely will get bigger with mass. You know, you'll be able to add that strength, a little bit of that muscle. And he'll be able to use those in those battles, those one-on-one battles down low. 
especially when you're up against power forwards that you know, are sometimes 6'4", six, 6'5", six, they skate like the wind, and they're 220, 230 pounds. So that just comes, uh, that evolves. Uh, there's no doubt that, you know, I, I agree with uh, the coach that, you know, he'll put the work in this summer. Uh, he'll come back, sort of transform next year. He'll be, he'll be a lot stronger, definitely have the confidence. And he'll have a little bit of a book on some of the teams that, uh, you know, he's able to play against so far in the early part of his career. But he'll continue to keep making strides. And it's not going to all happen even coming into this year. It's going to take a couple of years before he reaches that full maturity. But the willingness to be able to put the time and put the work in is what's going to pay to his credit. Uh, you know, you talk about the comparison of the minutes. If you look at Anderson, you know, he didn't play any power play time. So, you know, that's where a lot of those extra minutes are on the ice. So, um, you know, whether or not that comes out of his game in, in the near future, you know, only time will tell. But he definitely makes good decisions with the puck and he will come back. Uh, he'll be more determined. He will be stronger and uh, he'll be more competitive in, the, in those battles. And you'll start to see him uh, win a higher percentage. Of not that he lost a lot of battles last year, but I think you'll find him, you know, those ones that uh, maybe he got, uh, you know, a little bit of experience played to the other guys that they were able to beat him, or maybe it was a little bit of strength, or maybe that uh, tenth of a second, that speed. Those are things that he'll be able to continue to keep closing the gap on. Just turned 22 at the end of May, so he'll be 22 for the entirety of the regular season coming up. Um, well, not the Stanley Cup playoff final. Well, no, no, come sorry. On, come on, Jess, you got for, <laughs> for the entirety of the regular season. Sorry, it's a good point. Good point. I forgot about the deep, the deep playoff run coming up. Um, but at such a young age and already playing so many minutes, and obviously it was a weird year that he, you know, started his career in. Really, um, what what is the ceiling for Mikey Anderson? Do you think? Well, that that'll that'll be determined here in the next in the next couple of years. Again, I think there's a lot of growth in his game. And so many times we see when a player comes back in that so-called sophomore year, there's a little bit of a fallback, uh, you know, type of thing. Uh, mm -hmm. You know, you play a lot of an emotion in that in your first year. Last year was a very unique type of year, not only for he, but for everybody, you know, in the NHL or in the world for all that matter. So uh, it be interesting to see the way that he adapts the adjustments that he makes. Again, it's almost going to be like a rookie year for him again. Because a lot of the teams that he's going to play against, he hasn't seen those guys yet. Mm. So he's going to go up against a lot of players that uh, it'll be the first time. So he's uh, still got you know a lot of work to do in that regard. Um, so it's going to be a growing year for him again. Uh, I don't expect his minutes to fall off too much. Um, if anything, they may they may go up a little bit. Then that'll depend upon uh, you know what the other guys do as well. But uh, whether he's paired with Drew Doughty or not, uh, there's definitely a confidence factor that he has, the team has in him. And his teammates having him. So uh, he's going to earn himself uh, those marks and he'll continue to keep pushing forward. Uh, there's going to be some peaks and valleys. It's, you know, it's not going to be, uh, you know, straight to the attic. It's, uh, you know, he's going to have to stop at a couple of floors on the way up and, you know, maybe even take a step or two back every once in a while. But he's one of those guys that will process the things and he'll learn from them and he'll continue to meet, move forward and, and be that dependable guy that uh, he's going to eat up a lot of minutes and play against the other team's top players night in and night out. We spoke about Mikey Anderson last time, and I feel like we're probably going to hit a lot of the same talking points now as we move to Tobias Bjornfoot, the other rookie left shot defenseman that did, that uh, played this season for the Kings. Now, he was paired with Matt Roy most of the season. He's uh, a few years younger than Mikey Anderson. He turned 20 in April. Um, like I said, tons of similarities between the two stories, but but I feel like maybe not as much in common with the two players. What did we like about Tobias Bjornfoot this year? Well, 
I think there was definitely a growth in his game. You know, when he first stepped in and he played those games uh, right off the bat when uh, Kings first drafted him, um, you know, a noticeable growth in his game. And he'll continue to keep growing. He, too, like Mikey Anderson, they've got to add some mass onto their bodies. They've got to get stronger. But, you know, he's even a couple of years younger. So it's going to even be maybe a couple of more years, you know, beyond that before he finds full stride. Uh, There was times in the year that I, I saw glimpses of him uh, activating a little bit more offensively. And so there's a little bit of a, uh, an area there for growth. Um, you know, he doesn't have the hardest shot in the league, but he makes good decisions at making sure that it gets past the oncoming four checker on him at the blue line. So that'll allow, you know, the guys that he's on the ice with to continue either working a cycle or maintain offensive uh, possession in the offensive zone. Uh, but there's a lot of, uh, a lot of places where I think he can grow. I think he's shown us quite a bit at a young age. And again, you know, a couple of years, like 22 to 20, doesn't sound like a lot, but it's huge when you look at the amount of time that he's been playing against men. So uh, I think he absorbed a lot and has absorbed a lot in his, uh, you know, in his time playing in Ontario and then with the Kings. And uh, he'll continue to keep applying that. But it's the uh, work that he puts in in the offseason, the work that he puts in the gym and, you know, studying the players and the teams that he play against that are going to allow him to be able to proceed to that next level. There was a lot of talk during the season about the lack of offense coming from the blue line. And I think everybody expected that Drew Doughty and Sean Walker would provide, you know, their normal amount of offense. But um, Tobias Bjornfoot, only six points. Um, do you feel like he, of of the other defensemen that aren't Drew Doughty and Sean Walker, do you feel like he has the highest potential upside when it comes to natural offense built into his game? I think he's got a lot of great instincts and, you know, as the team, you know, let, let's face it, he, you know, it's not like he was, uh, you know, with Colorado and he's playing with a high, uh, you know, uh, mm-hmm. explosive offensive type of team and he only comes up with six points. I think his six points kind of, you know, they kind of move along with the offense of the team. You know, very seldom you see that Bjornfoot was on the ice with Kopitar's line where most of the offense was generated from. So uh, he's not going to create a lot there. But I think as the Kings continue to add depth in their lineup, this is where his offense will evolve. Again, I think he makes really good reads. He can come in and he can join in the attack, being that fourth guy on the rush in the offensive zone, in possession. He's not afraid to get down below the hash marks. He's got good skating ability to be able to get back and recover. So there, there is room for growth there. Uh, and as, uh, like I say, as the Kings continue to grow offensively as a team and guys finish more efficiently, you'll see his numbers are going to go up, you know, are they going to go from, you know, let's say six points to 50 points. I mean, everybody would love to see that, but that means the Kings have put a lot of pucks in the net. So, you know, if he comes out, let's say here in the next year or so, and all of a sudden he's up that 15, you know, 15, 18 mark, you know, point mark, you know, I think that's a, you know, a reasonable expectation is to see the growth that he's getting, but uh, there, there is some upside there in his game and he'll be able to play off the guys because of the intelligence that he has. He'll be able to play off whoever he's on the ice with. This next one is more for me than anybody else listening, so I apologize to everybody. Um, I've I've said recently, and it's and it's become clearer and clearer to me for some reason lately that uh, one of the biggest black holes in my ability to appreciate talent in the NHL is skating. I don't know how I managed to get this far watching <laughs> the game and just oh, totally ignore um, skating styles and techniques, but I have. So I hear people talk about Tobias Bjornfoot and how he can, quote unquote, skate the puck out of trouble. It's a phrase I hear a lot about him. Um, what does that mean? And how can the average fan look to see that in action while watching Tobias Bjornfoot? 
All right, well, before we answer that, Jess, I got to get you to commit to the skating classes that we go through at TSVP. So you're signed up for the next six months. All right, perfect. No, he's one of those guys, again, the confidence. A lot of players, when you put a puck on their stick, it kind of slows them down a little bit. Because he's got so much confidence in being able to handle the puck, it doesn't affect his skating. So the puck is just another addition to him, and he can move fluidly around the ice. He's got his head up all the time. He's got his head on a swivel. So he sees where the most dangerous pressure is coming from him. And he's got great vision around the ice. He sees where his teammates are. Before he goes back to retrieve a puck in a defensive zone, he's got his head up. So he knows the pressure is either coming, let's say, from his left side or there's two guys coming from here, whether or not to utilize his partner. So he can move the puck out of harm areas. And he can also bait guys to coming towards him. That leaves more room for the opposition. So he puts his teammates in a better position than he is in. And again, that comes to that, that term you hear, skating the puck out of danger. He can bring guys towards him, very confident passer, moves the puck to guys that are in a better position than he, and that allows his teams to transition the other way. So it sounds like it's more of a chewing gum and walking at the same time skill than it is just like a physical, oh, he has a beautiful stride or something like well, that. Well, he, he, he does have a really good stride. He's got an effortless stride out there. And it'll be interesting to see as those legs, those, you know, the big muscles there, you know, uh, you know, the uh, the glutes and the thighs and all that, as they continue to develop, it'll be interesting to see if much more speed is added to his game. Uh, but he is a, a very smooth skater, uh, again, effortless in, uh, you know, when he's out there. And he conserves a lot of energy because of the way he skates. He, he's not using his body. He's using those, you know, the big muscles. And uh, it, it's been, it's paid off to, you know, to this point of his career. And I think it'll become a greater asset as he gets older. We're talking about Olimata today, and before we get into uh, the specifics of his game, he, through no fault of his own, I think, was part of a a, posi- a, a, a fascinating sort of story to me all season, and that is when he was brought in, it, it was hyped up that he would be Drew Doughty's partner, and it was very clear that he was brought in to play with Drew Doughty, although my initial assumption when they when they acquired him my gut reaction without hearing anything from the organization was, ah, okay, this is a depth acquisition. This is a guy who plays second or third pair minutes. And I did that just based on looking at his minutes played in his career. I said, well, Drew Doughty likes to play 25 minutes, you know, north of that. And Olimata has only ever played something like 17 or 18 minutes. So, okay, third pair defenseman, second pair defenseman, solid depth, cup winner. Um, one of the things I really liked about uh, the organization and the word and the stuff coming out from the front office is to me, it seems like they're very quick to own their own mistakes. They, they're not, very, they're not precious with their own ideas. If something doesn't work, they move on it. And only Mata and Drew Doughty didn't work and they copped to it and they've been sort of continuing to cop to it. So I'm curious from your perspective, why only Mata and Drew Doughty didn't work? Well, I think, you know, you know, in defense of only Mata coming uh, you know, to the Kings when he did in the type of year that he did, it was very difficult for him to, let's say, establish a relationship and a partnership with a player like Drew, who's a very dynamic type of player. And again, Olimata comes, you know, have been Stanley Cup champion. Uh, you know, he's played on really good teams with great players. Uh, so I don't think that, you know, things got off on the right foot, so to speak. Uh, not necessarily all the blame on Olimata or the blame on the Kings at all. I think it was just in a unique situation. Um, I think maybe it was the the hope and the expectation that, you know, that the transition would be seamless, that they would just come together and 
bang, we wouldn't have to worry about a partner for Drew for, you know, for at least the next couple of years while he's under contract and then, you know, maybe re-sign him at that point. But, um, you know, it didn't work out and the team did not create an environment for, let's say, other guys picking up the workload because there were so many young guys in the blue line. So where he would kind of maybe ease his way in. I think as we saw, you know, after he was out for a while and when he returned back to the lineup, I think we saw a better version of Olimata. Uh, a more consistent version of Olimata, more of maybe what the Kings expected from him, uh, being that it wasn't on the ice with Drew Doughty, but uh, just a more of a trusting type of player. And you know, even Ole, at, you know, in a number of interviews that we did via Zoom, but you know, he he started to feel that. You know, he 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 said he wasn't comfortable. He's was trying to maybe play out of his game a little bit, trying to maybe do a little bit too much. And because he was, you know, every conversation was put in there with Drew Doughty that he felt that maybe he had to change his game. And I think really when you look at it why the Kings felt that he could play with him is because the way that he plays his game, the way it is. So don't make any changes, just be only Mata and, you know, see, see if it comes together. And it never really did uh, that chemistry never did come about, uh, which was unfortunate, but you know, he's a guy that I think can play uh, definitely, uh, you know, down in your, in your pairings. Uh, You know, he's got a decent book on the NHL. He knows a lot of the players. He's got good reach, good range, skates well enough. Um, it's just, I think, uh, he was putting into a, he was put in a position and, uh, it just, it just didn't work out. And again, like you say, give you, give the Kings their marks. Uh, they, they owned up to it right away. And instead of trying to ride it out the entire year, they, they made adjustments as they went. And I think it benefited not only, uh, Mata as a player, but, uh, the Kings as a team. One of the fallback phrases or, or defenses of, of a player is frequently, well, there's nobody who works as hard as player X, you know, or, or yeah, I see this guy in practice, you know, he tries hard, he tries hard, he tries hard. And I've recently, you know, this is, this is something that I, for years I thought like, oh, okay, yeah, he tries hard. That's important. Um, and recently in the struggles of the Kings, I've come to believe that it working hard is fine. You need guys that work hard, but you need guys that are working hard in the same direction. Otherwise, yeah. they're working against each other, and, and working hard can almost can almost hurt you too much if if you're working too hard. So, how do you get to a player? How do you let them know we appreciate how hard you're working, but you know it needs to be in the flow of the team and not just on your own, you know, on an island trying to trying to prove something to somebody. Yeah, I think that's where it's important, and you get that a lot with a lot of young guys. I think like as the the NHL is trying to is pardon me is has been transitioning the last few years. We see a lot more offense, a lot more skill. The young players that are are coming up now, uh, they've been developed in a different way. They've got a lot of skill. Uh, you know, they're doing things at a young age. You know, players back, you know, my generation, further back, you know, even a couple of generations after, never got a you know, never even thought of doing some of the things that these kids are doing. But the element that has maybe been missing is that what role do you play in your team? How do you make your team the best? Mm-hmm. And it's not necessarily, like you say, trying to do too much out there. Just do what's well. When when you look at, you know, the teams that uh, have had success, and we'll go back to when the Kings won, you know, in 212-214, it was the, you know, the Rob Scuderi's, the Trevor Lewis type of guys, glue players, so to speak. And that's what you have to become. You know, you got to become a glue player. you got to understand what your role is. And it doesn't necessarily mean – you, you do the same thing that you've done your entire career on this particular team. Maybe they've already got that element that comes out of another player. So it's your ability to be able to adjust. And sometimes it might be asking a little bit more of you. Sometimes it might be asking a little bit less of you. But as you put forth that, 
you've got to execute it to a T. And the quicker that you can transition to understanding what your role is and playing your little part, not only it makes your game better, but it makes everybody on the ice more effective and uh, more efficient. And, you know, I think that's, uh, you know, when we talked to Tom McClellan, even at the end of the year, you know, like the forecheck and things like that, a lot of young players, a lot of new players coming in. They, with the speed that they have uh, and some guys that are very persistent on the puck, they should be a lot more efficient and have more success off of that forcing turnover. So I'm real curious to see where that part of the game comes out next year. But uh, I think, uh, you know, as an individual, you have to really assess where you're at. And communication is a big thing. And because, you know, the team didn't have those quality practices, time in the summer, you know, Mata had to adjust to new systems that maybe were a little bit different than what he played in. And uh, that transition just happened to be a little hard because he's got new teammates. And uh, again, the pandemic that we were going through, which made things even a little bit more difficult. We're talking about Curtis McDermott. We're finishing off the the defensive core. Um, Curtis McDermott had a rough season, didn't get to play every game, you know, didn't have a stable. No, nobody had stable blue line partners, really, except for uh, Drew Doughty and Mikey Anderson plays 28 games, two goals, two assists, four points. At one point, he and Drew Doughty were the only defensemen who were scoring. Um, but really, I think no no uh, surprise that Curtis McDermott, when inserted into the lineup, was inserted to bring size, toughness, um, hitting, that sort of thing. How, how do we feel about Curtis McDermott's season? Well, it was a tough year for him uh, because of the way the schedule was set up, you know, uh, I don't think there was as much of that element uh, that he provides on a game-to-game basis. Um, you know, I think everybody really, you know, stuck to playing hockey. And I don't want to say that they don't stick to playing hockey when, you know, when it's a regular season. But I think everybody kind of pulled back a little bit, um, you know, because of a compressed schedule, the way it was played. And, um, you know, the, the importance of, uh, of each game, I think, become magnified because it was so short and you're playing against teams. So every night seemed to be like a four-point game. And I don't feel that at any time that there was anybody that, you know, in the teams that the Kings played against that they felt, you know, there's guys that were, were taking liberties against the Kings players that, you know, McDermott would have to, you know, definitely be in the lineup each and every one of those nights. In saying that, you know, I think Curtis has done a great job over the last few years at, making his uh taking pardon me taking his game to a level where he can play uh, on a more consistent basis um you know making sure that he's not taking unnecessary penalties taking advantage of the reach that he has playing on the blue line i almost see and you know again moving forward or even if you know this past year i could almost see uh mcdermott maybe transition as a forward because of the youth that the kings have on the blue line uh you know in order to get him in the lineup Maybe you put him in on that fourth line a little bit to provide some energy, get in on a four check, and you get in a pinch in a game. He can also come back and play play defense. So um, uh, there's definitely value to a guy like that. I think everybody else te- seems to play a a more comfortable game when he's in the lineup, knowing that he's got your back. He's one of those guys that's really appreciated and respected by his teammates, coaches, and obviously well respected by the opposition that he plays against each, night in and each night out because it's not an easy position. I can't remember if it was exit interviews or just a Zoom chat with Matt Roy, you know, post-practice or post-game near the very end of the season, but it was definitely late in the season. And Matt Roy made a point of of singling out Curtis McDermott and talking about how much uh, he likes playing with him and, and how, how much the team likes having him on the ice. So I'm curious, is that is that is that really still 
culturally in hockey that much of a thing to have you know i don't want to use the word enforcer because obviously the the role has changed but do guys on the bench really still react that much to having a you know a, a big guy like curtis mcdermott on the ice i think they do i think you know you still have to have that element there's uh there's got to be even if it's never used it's the way the opposition looks upon you uh that they won't take liberties and that's not necessarily that they throw a heavy weight out there to you know maybe try to run some of your other guys but you know you get into a heavy type of game you know you just want to have a guy that can go out and maybe slow things down it doesn't necessarily mean putting the gloves down all the time it's just that that presence in the lineup that knowing this you know this uh this action might result in this consequences coming back uh, i think you know when you talk about matt roy saying love to play with him i think mcdermott's a prime example of a player that is very predictable he plays within his means and that's to his credit he never you know never see him trying to take the puck up the middle of the ice across the front of his crease and try to beat three guys on the forecheck he makes the simple plays uh he makes very predictable plays and everybody on the on the ice knows where he's going to be so to his credit uh that's one you know one thing that he does very well and uh he never changed that right from the first game that he played uh, up to you know, up to this season, until the games that he's played, uh, continues to play within his means, and that's what it's allowed him to be able to stay in the league. Uh, he minimizes his mistakes. Excellent, thank you very much, Daryl. You're welcome, Jess.